0: John chapter 4. It is so good to be in the house of God this morning with the people of God, praising the living God who's worthy. There's nobody like Jesus. So it's the main event when we come on Sunday to gather to worship King Jesus. And the Spirit comes and manifests on the people And as we hear God's Word, we hear a word for our situation right now. And my prayer in my heart is just what Brother Tim prayed moments earlier, a couple minutes earlier, that the words that you hear would not be the words that ultimately I've prepared or ultimately that I want to come out, but that the Holy Spirit wants to come out into your life. Amen. So let's ask God right now to do what only he can do in prayer. Father God, we come before you and we recognize Lord that you have penned glorious words. You have inspired the scriptures and they are the very word of God to us. Lord, they have the, the words of life in them. They have words about Jesus as our living hope. They have words about the way of rescue for rebel, broken sinners. They, have, they hold out to us a vision of Jesus that we so desperately need in a world that is so dark as ours. And in lives that can get so confusing and so discouraging, we need the light of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that Your Spirit would manifest on this time. That Your Word would be like a fire in our hearts. Lord, that Your Word would disclose to us a deeper vision of Jesus today than the one we came in with. And Father, I pray that You would give us the medicine that we need spiritually Lord, that that wherever we're at today, wherever we've walked in, that You would speak to us and that we would have a word from You, from the Scriptures. And so we thank You and we ask Your Holy Spirit to move in power. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So last night, as I was putting the finishing touches on what I thought I was going to bring, this morning and I'm driving home and I'm looking out at the night sky and there's this beautiful crescent moon out and it is so low in the sky that I almost thought I could just reach up and grab it. You know, this thing is massive. The, the, the moon is massive, but it was just like you could reach up and touch it. And I thought to myself, isn't that what Isn't that what John is doing in his Gospel for us? He's taking this big, massive view of Jesus and he's bringing it to a place where we can reach up and grab it. He's bringing this glorious depiction of Christ. And he's bringing it to a place where you can reach out with a hand of faith and lay hold of the greatest person in the universe. And he starts out his Gospel by saying in John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. So John's about revealing the glory of Jesus to us. John's about getting a picture of Jesus before us. He's about getting a picture of the majestic, King Jesus, the one who came from eternity, the one who is fully God, fully man, who at Christmas condescended, right, to be born in Bethlehem, born a baby, born with full humanity, born to grow up, to live a perfect life that we can never live. Born to die on a cross, the death we deserve to die. Born to be buried. And after three days, he was born to rise unto resurrection and life, to give hope to anybody who believes. And so when we step into John's gospel, when we step into any part of John's gospel, what he is after is giving you a vision of Jesus full of grace and truth. And he wants to reveal, I'll just read one more word that the Lord put on my heart right now. Verse 16 of chapter 1 said, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, from His fullness, right? We receive grace upon grace. And the law was meant to reveal our sin and to show our need. And Jesus brings the gracious gift of salvation to a needy people. And so we're about to approach an account in John's Gospel where Jesus comes to a needy, broken, discouraged, immoral, outcast woman who is totally isolated and cut off from everyone. And He approaches her with grace and with hope and gives her a picture of His glory. And shows her the way to true life. Now we all seek life in this world. We're all chasing after life. We all want more life. And as one writer put it, it's important to realize that you can search for life in only two places. Either you have found life to the fullest vertically in a relationship with God. Or you are shopping for it horizontally in the stuff of this world. Either you're searching for it and you've found it vertically, you've gotten connected with God through Jesus, which is what this whole gospel is all about. It's what this woman at the, the well in Samaria is going to need to discover. Or you can try to shop for life in this world, horizontally, pursuing success, pursuing the right job, pursuing the right amount of children, pursuing the right spouse, whatever you're placing your hope for life, whatever you're placing your hope and your trust in, whatever gives you that sense of security and peace and happiness. This, I just want life. I want to live. I want to be alive. I want to experience something real. And we can shop horizontally and end up being utterly devastated, depressed, and empty. And Jesus is going to walk up to this woman and He's going to say to her in verse 10 what I think is the question He's asking all of us. Today, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And my friends, when you find the answer to that reality, you have found life itself. Because Jesus is not offering to us another way to kind of help ourselves. It's not another self-help. It's not another horizontal deal. It's getting the vertical things straight. And then everything else in life falls into place. Not perfectly. But when you order your life around Jesus, He begins to work in redemptive ways to align you on every level. And the truth is, every one of us has been shopping for life on a horizontal level. From the moment we're born, we're clinging out, crying for life. Give me food, right? And then we get older and we start pursuing other things that might be our identity. Popularity, power, fame, sex, successful careers, a family. Making sure our children turn out okay. You could build your whole life around those things, which are good things. They're good horizontal blessings. But you you build your life around it and you destroy the very thing that was meant to point you to God. See, all the good stuff in this world was meant to point us to God. And we learned that back in a garden. Right? Many thousands of years ago, a serpent came slithering in to our ancestors, Adam and Eve. Said like, like, I know God's given you this garden and all of that, but did He say you couldn't eat of the tree in the garden? In the midst of the garden? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Surely you could eat of that and you're not going to die. And He makes God look like this cosmic killjoy. You're going to take this one thing from me? When the reality is he gave you everything in the garden. said the one thing that you shall not eat is this one tree. And the way to life was the connection they had with God. And the devil, what he does is try to get you to think, go somewhere else and try to find the waters of life. And you won't ever find it there. You'll only find death, pain, suffering, emptiness. Now we're ready to come to our text. Look with me. John chapter 4. This is God's Word to us today. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, verse 2, although Jesus Himself did not baptize but only His disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And He had to pass through Samaria. So He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you go to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. Now this is a spectacular account Of God's grace towards undeserving sinners. It's a spectacular account of Jesus entering in to the life of thirsty, needy, destitute people with the waters of life. And this is so rich that we're only going to do part of it today. We're only doing 1 through 15 today. And most of the chapter is given to this account of Jesus encountering this woman at the well. And it's meant to speak to you a better word about how life can come into you. How supernatural spirit wrought life from knowing Jesus and receiving Jesus and all that He is. And his question kind of led that out, right? If you only knew the gift of God, and if you only knew who was speaking to you, You would have asked me and I would have given you living water. This is the hope that John puts forward to us that Jesus longs to bring into sinners and sufferers in this world. And we're in both of those categories if we've lived long enough. Right? Needy sinners and sufferers. and We we need a glimpse of Jesus' heart here. So the first thing I want us to see is that Jesus comes for the express purpose of saving sinners in need. And and we don't see it more clearly expressed in this Gospel except in this account. Look at verse 4. Do you see it there? And He had to pass through Samaria another Bible translation says but he needed to go through Samaria now if you understand the geography of him being in Judea and he's baptizing and there's crowds drawing to him and all of these people are beginning to come to Jesus and it's turning the ears and the eyes of the Pharisees And Jesus is not ready to have that showdown with the Pharisees. Now, He's going to get there in John's Gospel. And the Pharisees are going to be all upset at Him. But right now, Jesus is not ready to have that confrontation. He's not ready to go to the cross. His hour had not yet come. But He needed to go through Samaria. Now, there were three ways to go to Samaria. Or, sorry, there were three ways to go to Galilee, which is where he was trying to go. You could go through Samaria. You could go around Samaria one direction. And you could go around Samaria the other direction to get to Galilee. And he needed to get to Galilee, but he took this path through Samaria which any good Jew, any upstanding Jew, any moral Jew would not dare go through Samaria because Jews did not like Samaritans. It's Hatfields-McCoys sort of thing, right? Samaritans represented the, pure, the, the, the defiling of the Jewish religion. Samaritans represented to the Jews this distortion they rejected the whole Old Testament except the first five books. They worshipped not at the temple in Jerusalem, but in another temple in Samaria. They erected to worship in a way that dishonored God. And so all of the Jews, when they think of the Samaritans, they think of idol worshippers and people who intermarried with the pagans all around them. And so nobody wanted to go through Samaria. But we find here that it's the purpose of Jesus and that the language of necessity is used in verse 4. And He had to pass through Samaria. He had. It's, it, it, Jesus is in total control of what He's doing. He, he's the sovereign Savior and He needs to go to Samaria because He's got a divine appointment to meet a woman in great need who nobody else cares about. And nobody else thinks she's savable. And why bother anyways? She's destroyed her life. We're going to find out later. She's married five men and divorced five men. And the one she's living with now is not her husband. She's in gross sexual immorality and she's a Samaritan at that. But Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And I find that so encouraging. That Jesus would go straight through the place that nobody else wanted to touch. He didn't think of Samaritans as unsavable. And right, if we're all honest, we're Samaritans. Right? If if, if we're all honest... We're broken sinners. We're cut off from God apart from Jesus. We need the rescue. And if Jesus doesn't condescend to reveal Himself to you, you don't have any hope of salvation. But we see here that He needed to go. That He had to go. That it was His expressed purpose to go. To reach this woman. And He looks at her filled with redemptive love and grace and he arranged to meet her at a well now she doesn't know it she stumbles into it and you know what i learned from this that jesus had a a purpose to save sinners in this world that when you share the gospel brothers and sisters you need to know that jesus said all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth go make disciples of the world and he's going to be with you Because he went to Samaria. He had to go. Just like we have to go. But we also see from this passage that Jesus cares deeply about the outcast, the alienated, and even those stuck in gross immorality. Now chapter 3 was all about Jesus coming to or or, or or a religious pharisee coming to Jesus who had it all put together. He was a religious man, he was a rabbi, he was a moral upstanding citizen. He comes to Jesus. He thinks there's some great things going on with Jesus' ministry and guess what? I want to know more about it and Jesus looks him in the eye and says, "Unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven." Nicodemus, you're blind and you're spiritually dead even though you're a religious man. He he, he was saying, listen, you can have it all put together. You can have the religiousness. You can have all of that and you can be totally lost just like Nicodemus. Or you could be like this woman who couldn't be more different than Nicodemus. Who's an outcast and who's Of the dregs of society. Nobody wants her. Nobody cares about her. But Jesus does. Maybe you feel that way today. Like nobody cares. Nobody sees me. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody's in touch with my struggle. Nobody knows deep down what's going on in my soul. And this passage is trying to show us. Jesus cares that's why he goes to samaria look at it in verse 7 a woman of samaria or a woman from samaria came to draw water and jesus said to her give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food and the samaritan woman said to him How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Do you see the shock in what she's saying? And then we get this comment by John. For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And yet, the first thing we see Jesus doing is breaking all the social customs of the day. And He speaks to this woman. And not only does He speak to her, but He asked for a drink from her drinking vessel. If there were Pharisees watching Jesus at that moment, they would have went ballistic. He's going to drink from this woman of ill repute from Samaria? And she's a woman? And she's a part of this heretical, worship-defiling, God-hating, God-rejecting, perverse people who are profaning the pure race of Judaism. And they've intermingled and they've messed up everything that God had said. And Jesus says to her, Give me a drink. And she's coming. Verse 6 says that she's coming in the sixth hour, which is about noon. It's the hottest part of the day. There are many other wells that she could have went to than this well that were closer to her But she goes out of her way to this remote well. She comes in the hottest part of the day when nobody would get drinks of water. Most people would get drinks of water in the morning when it's not hot. But she's coming in in the blazing furnace of the heat. Probably because she didn't want to see anybody. Probably because she didn't want people to judge her. Probably because she didn't want to raise the ire of society. There goes that woman again. You got five husbands working on her sixth. She's a mess, and Jesus actually condescends to speak to her. Do you feel that? Like He says, "Give me a drink. Give me a drink." Now, listen. If you were in the Jim Crow South, where you had seg- segregated Bathrooms and segregated water fountains and and, and blacks and whites did not intermingle and a white man came up to a colored fountain and pressed the on button and took a sip of water from that fountain and the, the the gaze of the community it would have been a scandal. I mean, it's ugly, right? Racism is ugly. Prejudice is ugly. And Jesus is just cutting through all that garbage. When he says to this woman, give me a drink. Shocking. Because he cares about her and he sees her with dignity. And even though her sordid track record and even though her idolatrousness and even though, as you're going to see, she's kind of clueless. She's not getting what he's, he's saying. He just loves her because he's come on a divine appointment to save her soul. Maybe you need to know that today. But that's that's Jesus heart towards you. That's Jesus heart towards you. He sees you in all your brokenness. He sees you in where you're at. He sees you even where you're at in terms of society. And He doesn't doesn't care about all that. He comes to rescue sinners. Now, to be clear, He's not going to just give this woman a pass and not talk about her sin. Eventually, He's going to say, go get your husband. verse 16, And she's going to say, I don't have a husband. He's going to say, you're right. You had five and the one you're with right now is not your husband. So he cares about redeeming sinners. He cares about showing them their need. He cares about getting them in touch with God. And the first thing they need is to know how thirsty they really are for true life. How thirsty are you in here today? How thirsty for the things of God. Have you been going after things on a horizontal plane? Grasping at it? Trying for things? Hoping it's going to fill you? Hoping it's going to give you life? Hoping it's going to help you? But it's not. It's empty. It's vain. It feels mundane. And you're miserable. And it's because you, like this woman, need Jesus to approach you and say, if you only knew who you were talking to, You would have asked me and I would have given you eternal life. Or I would have given you living water, which is eternal life through the Holy Spirit. But this woman is utterly shocked at this moment. She's taken aback that this Jewish man would approach her, would come to her in the most vulnerable moment. And she and, and, and what Jesus is exposing in her is she's asking all the wrong questions. She's asking all the wrong questions. And Jesus shows us that in verse 10. He answers her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That's the heart of what John's after. He's trying to open your eyes, open her eyes. Jesus is trying to open her eyes to who He is. It's about identity. It's about who Jesus is. And Jesus comes in His thirst, in His real humanity, to this woman for a drink only to turn it around and say, this woman is the one who is thirsty and needs living water. Oh, Jesus knows what you need. He knows what questions you need to ask. He knows the most important thing in life is who you say He is. And whether or not you're going to ask Him for the living water, or you're going to settle for the continued, empty, stale, stagnant waters of this world. And in those days, stagnant water was less helpful because it would get all sorts of diseases eventually. Running water was considered life-giving because it was a source of pure water, drinking water, cleaning water. And so springs were vital. Wells could be corrupted. Jesus is saying, I've got something better for you. He's trying to draw her out. Maybe he's trying to draw you out today. Maybe you're going after things that are totally empty. Maybe you've come in with all sorts of misconceptions about what Christianity really is. Maybe you've tried to put all your hope in one cistern, one well, and it was a stagnant well. And it didn't satisfy. Jesus is saying, I've got living water. I've got water that I offer to you freely. I've got water that once you realize who I am and who it is that's talking to you, you're going to find out just how glorious I am and just what a great Savior I am. And this whole account ends with the whole town in Samaria that this woman is from coming to recognize From her testimony, just who Jesus is in verse 42. We'll just read it for some context here. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard it for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. That's who Jesus is and he's come and he's before her. And she's still thinking we're talking about just regular water. Now, all through the Bible, the questions we ask are very important. And the questions, more importantly, we ask of God are equally important. Do you remember the account of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail? They were in prison for sharing the gospel, delivering this girl, slave girl, from demons, and they get thrown into prison. They have a praise session at the middle of the night. God unlocks the jail, and everybody could have went out, and the Philippian jailer is just sitting there, all kinds of upset, and he's ready to take his own life. And Paul says, "Stop." And trembling, this jailer comes before them and says, "Sirs." What must I do to be saved? It's a question. What must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you knew who it was who was before you, to the Samaritan woman if you knew who i was if you knew who was asking you give me a drink you would have asked the right things and i would have given you life but the story's not over <laughs> this account is not over because jesus is all over it and he's pressing on this broken desperate discouraged woman who represents all of us in our brokenness That you need a new beginning, that you need life, that you need help, that you need rescue, and only he can provide it. And that's the next thing we see. Jesus provides living water. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus provides the waters that go vertical. And that make you truly alive. It's a famous line of Braveheart, right? Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Not every man truly or woman truly experiences living water and tastes true life in its true reality, unvarnished, straight from the throne room of God, meant to order your soul, rescue you from your sins, bring you in connection with God, and begin to clean up your life. That's what living waters do. And that's what Jesus says in verse 13. He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give Him will become in Him a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. Now before this actual uh, statement of Jesus, I'm the source of life, He says. I'm the living waters. Or I'm, I'm the one who provides the living waters. And you just ask and I'll give it. Right before He says that, This woman says to Him, Sir, I have nothing to draw the water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and we drank from it as did His sons and His livestock. You know what's happening there? She's missing the reality of who Jesus is. And she's comparing Jesus to Jacob. So, Are you greater than our father Jacob? Like this is Jacob's well. This is Jacob's well. This is a special well he dug. This is a special well he drank out of. And you're going to give me better water than him? And you don't even have any vessels. You're asking me for a skin to get water. How are you going to get this living water yourself? You see that? She's, she's thinking Jesus is a sidewalk magician or some snake oil salesman. Who is this guy? She doesn't trust Him yet. She's not ready to receive. She's not ready to see. And sometimes we can get there. Sometimes we see Jesus and we're, we're, we, we don't see in Him a Savior. We don't see in Him a rescue. We're adversarial towards Him. We're running from Him. We're hiding in the dark. And we're saying, you know what? All these other things that I'm running to. They're actually what I need. She's like, are you greater than Jacob? Like Jacob wrestled with an angel. Y'all Jacob wrestled with an angel. Jacob's the father of the Israelites. You don't think he's better than that? Or you think you're better than that? (laughs) And Jesus is like. If you only knew. Something greater than Jacob has come. Yes, Jacob is great. Yes, Jacob is one of the patriarchs. Yes, Jacob is a, a very important man in the history of Israel and in the identity of every Israelite. But he was always pointing to another Israel was always pointing to a Messiah. Israel was always pointing to the need for a Redeemer, for somebody to come and be the deliverer of the people of God and rescue them from their idolatry. It's ironic that God sends the prophet Jeremiah to the people of God in the Old Testament crying out with a message about what's going wrong as the the nation of Israel is beginning to circle the drain in idolatry. And in Jeremiah 2.12, the prophet says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living water. And they've hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. What's the problem? My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the true fountain of life. They have forsaken the true place where they can get the life that they need. And not only that... They've dug out their own wells. Broken cisterns that are like wells with holes in them that do not hold water. And the picture is the attempt to save yourself. The attempt to get life yourself. The attempt to build your identity and your life around something or someone who's not God. And it won't ever work. It's like a broken cistern that holds no water. You might be here today and you are addicted to drugs, or alcohol, or sex, or prosperity, or the worship of something other than the true and living God. And you are going to broken cisterns. You may be going to somebody else To justify your identity. If I just have this one person or this one relationship or this one thing. Or this one goal that I achieve. Then life will be worth it. And it's broken cisterns that hold no water. And the Lord is exposing something in you. In us. That we can't get those leaky buckets up there and try to catch life. We need somebody to give the life to us. And that's why Jesus says in verse 13, everyone who drinks the water that you're drinking is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water. Welling up unto eternal life. The picture is this overflowing brook. This fountain, this geyser, this springing up, this leaping up, this power of God, this Spirit of God coming in and bringing life and renewal and grace and redemption that continues to remind you the Holy Spirit is with the Christian redeeming the Christian, sanctifying the Christian, rescuing the Christian, convicting the Christian. He provides life. And it won't ever go away. And that's why if you're a Christian and you just try to live in the world, it's miserable. You try to live in idolatry, it's miserable. Because the Spirit's going to convict you all up and down with that stuff. And bring you back to living water. And if you don't know living water, you're trying the leaky bucket thing and it's not working. And God loves you. He's compassionate. He needed to come to Samaria for this woman. He needed to come. And he's calling you to something better, to abundant life, to quench your spiritual thirst. How do we get this water? Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Yeah, but how do I get it? I want the spring. I want the water. John 7, right? 37 and 38. Tim read it earlier. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, that's all of us, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So what do the thirsty need to do if you're thirsty in here today, if you're spiritually malnourished, if you're. Totally feeling dried up, dried out. You need to come to Jesus and drink. And verse 38 of chapter 7 says coming to Jesus is believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus. Not giving lip service to Jesus, but surrendering your life to Jesus. Turning from the broken cisterns of lust and alcohol and drugs and Performance and religious one-upsmanship and, and, and building your identity around anything on the horizontal horizontal plane. What do we do? What do we do if we find out we've got broken cisterns? Jesus says, Come to me. Saying to this woman, come to me. Come to me and I'll give you life. Come to me and I'll give you forgiveness. Come to to me and I'll give you a right relationship with your maker. Come and drink the waters of life and drink them freely. The message of the New Testament is that God offers the gift. Gift and giving is all through this chapter. In these 15 verses, you see it appear seven different times because the gift of God is free and it comes through Jesus. And John means for you to have it, and God means for you to have it. And Jesus died to provide it, and He rose from the dead to secure it. And it can never be taken from the child of God. So if you hear the shepherd calling today, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, you're thirsty. You've been going to broken cisterns. Come to me and I've got waters of life. Waters of rest. Waters of peace. So in a minute, we're going to pray. Maybe some of you are like this woman. She says in verse 15. Sir, give me this water. So that I might not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. <laughs> She's still on the natural plane. It's not real for her yet. And Jesus just says one question to her Okay, go call your husband and come here. Oh, uh oh. Jesus enters into her brokenness, Jesus enters into her idolatry. Jesus enters into her immorality with a question. I don't have a husband. You had five. One you're with is not your husband. And maybe Jesus is calling you today. He's calling out to you in your sin. He's exposing it. He's put his finger on it. You've got broken cisterns. And He's saying, turn from that and come to Me. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to do a work. Father, we are instructed and we are helped and we are encouraged by this great blessing of Jesus being the One who can give living waters. And He says, come to Me and drink. Believe on me and be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let go of the broken cisterns. Father, I pray that we would let go of the leaky buckets we're holding on to. Maybe it's a relationship that's not good for us. Maybe it's a way of a pattern of sin and living that's been exposed and we need to really repent of it. We're not being honest with it. And we need to bring it before you in honesty and in truth. And maybe we're like this woman who just had no idea that that day Jesus would come in offering her life. And before it's all through, she reaches out to Him and receives Him as her Savior, Messiah, and King. Father, I pray that some would do that today. And if you're there, if you're holding on to that leaky bucket, I'm just going to ask you to pray in your heart right now and pray, dear God, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I've been holding on to leaky buckets. I've been going to things that hold no water. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus is the source of living water. I believe He can rescue me from my sins. I believe He died for my sins and rose from the dead. Come into my life. I want to drink from the waters of life. Send Your Spirit into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.